Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Jay Mace, a.k.a. Jarrell Mace, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and giving them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have a brother that's been doing interviews with the legends in and around R&B, the host of R&B Soul Effect TV. You all know him as Mr. Soul Effect. Mr. Soul Effect, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, my brother. Hey, man, pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for inviting me. I, you know, uh, I don't get opportunities like this, you know, when it comes to, you know, far as me being interviewed with this stuff, and I appreciate it, brother. No problem. I feel the same way where it feels odd when you're on the other side answering questions where you're used to peppering them out. So let's go ahead and hop right into it. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you were born, and your first musical memory, like first CD or cassette or 12-inch vinyl that you remember buying with your own money. Yeah, I was born in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, but raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, growing up, you know, in the 80s, uh, a teenager by the 90s, you know, I was a fan of, you know, Sound of Gold, Club MTV, Video Soul. Uh, I was a fan of Soul Trade, Dance Party USA, the party machine. And growing up, you know, back then, you know, I used to buy like Word Up magazines and stuff like that, Jet magazines. And I used to put posters of, different my favorite artists is all over my walls and everything man my mama she looked at me like what type of circus is this but as a teenager back then you know that was our thing and stuff but uh when i was in elementary i had my own podcast show you know i went to a school called chula elementary it was a show called uh kids at work and it was me and my buddy uh jamal rest in peace and uh we you know we would talk about music but, you know, the teachers back then was like, well, you know, you can't say this, that, you know. I know we could mention about rap, because at that time, NBA was taking over. So I said, okay, maybe try to find something that's positive, you know, so I could talk about. So I did that for the first, I did that for the third grade to the fifth grade. But uh, my first CD, man, back then, you know, when CDs was coming in, uh, I wasn't big on CDs. I had, like, cassette tapes. My first cassette tape I remember was uh, Bye Brown, Don't Be Cool. And that was the first one. And that kind of like, you know, opened my eyes up. But uh, what made me do what I am today was like watching Donnie Simpson, Don Cornelius, uh, you know, watching uh, Arsenio Hall. It, it, you know, it did something to me. You know, when I was about like nine or two years old, and I'm like, wow, you know, they interviewing all these artists at the time it was real hot. And Instead of me want to be a rapper or want to, you know, do other things and stuff, because I was good at basketball and football, but um, something in my mind told me this is where I need to be at. I wasn't too for sure until I, I got OSI taking it real seriously things. But uh, back then, man, you know, I used to collect a lot of CDs and cassette tapes and stuff, you know, because back then, you know, like BET, MTV, VH1, and having like Word Up magazines, All Beat, Jab magazines and stuff, those were our Facebook, our Instagram, our YouTube, and our Twitters. You know, we didn't have the social media stuff. You know, all that came late in the game. And, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, uh, I was infatuated, you know, buying the uh, the CDs and tapes, look at the back of the book, booklet, the album cover, see who wrote this, see who produced that. That's how I studied, you know, all that, you know. And, uh, you know, then uh, my first, uh, gig I did, I was, 
21, I was an intern and stuff. See, a lot of people don't even know that. My family don't even know this either, you know, because a lot of times, you know, when you uh, get into things, family, they all over the place. They were hate this and that. So when I start uh, getting to radio at my first break, and trust me, man, I was nervous. I was all over the place, man. But, uh, but yeah, I've been this for a long time, man. Man, that's crazy how your story and my story kind of sort of parallel both southern boys i'm originally from north carolina based in new mexico studied video soul soul train and all those dance and video shows you mentioned earlier and then just reading the liner notes on the back of albums and inside the inserts of cassette tapes and cds now as far as radio is concerned what was the main radio station out of Kentucky that pretty much played your urban that you pretty much had on the ready for to record when you had your mixtape? Well, well, back then, uh, B96 was the go-to uh, radio show back in the 90s and the early 2000s. You know, of course, you know, radio changed different DJs every three, two, five years and stuff like that. But uh, back then, you know, I was connected with that and imagine 101.3. So back then, you know, they played the artists that was real hot. So, you know, you have balance between R&B and, and rap music. So uh, it was like, if I didn't catch nothing on TV, then I'll catch it on the radio and stuff. So, yeah, man, you know, back then I was real radio head, you know. These days, it, you know, it, you know, all that's gone because uh, we don't have, that type of quality music like we used to and stuff, you know. Uh, back then, I think, like, you know, throughout the years of, in the rotation, my earliest memory of radio, like, you could have, like, a top 20 countdown. It was like you had uh, High Five, you had uh, Jade, you had Bobby Brown, you had Heavy D, the boys, you had Criss Cross. It was a balance in between. So it was like you had your R&B side, your rap side and stuff. But I had, last time I listened to, uh, radio all the way was in 2004 the last time ever since then you know the way music has changed it has been like a straight flat line so i barely even listen to radio like it you know right same here because kids nowadays don't understand the impact of radio and that local dj in that community you were right. excited to get pulled over when you were the x number caller or if you had that bumper sticker stuck on the back of your car to win whatever your station frequency amount of money was and it was just right. a sight to see when they had a remote and you were able to get something out of that prize closet Trust me, I know I used to work in radio and used to have to deal with the prize closet. <laughs> but um, as far as Kentucky is concerned, knowing that it really didn't have too much of a music scene, except for later right. on, we had Nappy Roots and other acts coming out of Kentucky. Um, did you all feel Kentucky like, hey, want to be known for more than just the Kentucky Derby, Louisville Slugger, Fort Knox, and the birthplace of KFC? Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that though, because growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, man, I'm gonna tell you, you know, we had like a lot of amazing, talented artists. It just that there wasn't no guidance, there wasn't no motivation. Plus, they about Kentucky, it wasn't like California or New York, you know, where you could start a career or Georgia. Um, the only people that actually made it, you know, was a group called Player, and the two members, Smoke and Black, they went Drew Hill as like a replacement. Uh, Recipe the Static Major. Nappy Roots, uh, uh, it was a, a sprinkle of people, you know, that made, like you said, you know, Nappy Roots and stuff, but 
I think what hurt Kentucky the most is that we didn't have like that backbone to really, you know, you know, open, you know, an artist's eyes to get out of Kentucky and say, hey, I could make this, I could do this, you know what I'm saying? And the bad part about it where the artists did perform, we had these so-called open mics and, and these little shows and stuff, you know, telling people, oh yeah, I could blow your career up. Then you wrote a lot of janky contracts and, you know, and then after a while, you know, it's like artists just lost hope and stuff, you know. Uh, I got a cousin, you know, she been rapping since she was like in middle school. And uh, she, you know, she almost had a deal with Juvenile, the rapper, and uh, something happened. I think somebody lost contact and stuff. And things fell apart. But, you know, in, in a good graces, I'm glad that situation that happened, though, because, you know, they hear a lot of bad stuff about Juvenile when it comes to his artists. So, you know, learn less and different blessings. But then again, you know, I asked myself, you know, was he trying to sell my cousin because he was a great artist or because she was pretty? You know, so some rappers, they do try to take advantage of artists. But, yeah, man, you know, uh, the way the Kentucky scene is now, the only artist that, that's really jumping is Bryson Tiller, even though he's not like a crossover smash, but uh, for him to make a buzz for himself, he's like the last artist, you know, uh, that's really doing real well and stuff. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now the sidebar a little bit, we're going to swing back to the music. Since you are in basketball heaven, AKA Kentucky, and me being from North Carolina, of course, you know, Duke, North Carolina, the big in-state yeah. rivalry for college basketball. I got to ask, are you a Wildcat or are you a Cardinal? I'm a Cardinal fan. Now, I ain't no Wildcat fan. You know, it's like, you know, uh, growing up in Louisville, I, you know, I'm definitely a UofL fan. I'm just like, I like Kentucky Wildcats, but it just seems to me, man, you know, the way that the basketball is so narrated, it's sad, though, because, you know, Louisville could have had a lot of great talent, you know, throughout the 90s and the 2000s. It's just that, you know, we could have had, you know, Derek Assis, he's from Louisville. He went to Kentucky. Allie Houston's from Louisville. He was, you know, saying that he ended up playing for different teams. So I'm thinking to myself, like, dang, why could we have these talent, talented people there? Um, I've never been a UK fan, man, you know, and it's always been that rivalry between the Cardinals and the Wildcats, man. I mean, I remember one time I was working at Kroger's, and this old guy, I think he was about like maybe the 70s and 80s, he going to ask me, you know, am, am I a Kentucky fan? Then I said, dude, you know, I said, I said I'm said, i a Cardinal fan for life, you know, and stuff. And then uh, he said, I feel sorry for you. I said, no, nah, dude, I feel sorry for you because your team lost out of the first round. <laughs> so, yeah, man, you know, it, it always been like, it kind of had North Carolina State and and uh, South Carolina State always had their issues and stuff, but that's how, you know, uh, Louisville is. Yeah, that's how it is, of course, with Duke and Carolina, because we were happy to give Duke that big old ale this past Saturday in Cameron for Coach K's final game. Of course, you know, Louisville, great basketball tradition, um, late great coach Denny Crum and Never Nervous Purvis, Dr. Duncanstein, and most recently yeah. Donovan Spider Mitchell. Oh man, you know, I tell you, man, you know, we, you know, one thing I can't say, like when it comes to sports, the press make it faster than the artists do. That is no lie, man. Yeah, that that's that no is, lie, no no lie about that because North Carolina for a minute had the same struggles as Kentucky or any other southern state that wasn't Texas or Atlanta that you had to venture out in order to make it. Because of course we had Joe to see. 
Anthony uh, Hamilton, Sunshine Anderson, yep. and the likes. And now you're seeing Knife Wonder, J. Cole, Rhapsody, and other artists from North Carolina really staking their claim in the national foothold and saying, hey, we got a different sound and you all going to embrace it. And I think pre-social media, that hurt all the other states that didn't really have a vibrant music scene or at least the connectors in those right. areas that can really put you on like a California, a New York, a Houston, Atlanta, or Memphis even. Yeah, Atlanta. that's true. Yeah, because that's true though, because, um, you know, I grew up being a, a fan of, of Dale Griffith when he played for Utah Jazz. I never had the opportunity to see him play for the Cardinals because, you know, I was born, you know, in 81, so I didn't get a chance to really, you know, uh, uh, see him play in college, though. But for what my mother and everybody else told me, you know, he was like the Michael Jordan of UofL, you know, you know um, the high-flying dunks and everything else. Um, you know, he was good at Utah. Sad how his career kind of, like, slowly dwindled with the injury. Then when he did came back, the coach, Ben Stubb, that kind of, like, really hurt it, you know, rest his legacy and stuff. But, uh yeah, man. I mean, you know, I, I tell you this, though. When it comes to Louisville, when we all on a good road, I mean, it's, it's like a sea of red. I mean, you see fans wearing Louisville hats, Louisville jackets. Uh, you know, I mean, the pride is real U of L. I mean, you know, and, and my father, you know, he was a big U of L fan, too, himself. So, um, you know, we take pride in our season. It's like, okay, like, back in 2013, we won the, uh, the National Championship on the Rick Pitino. Man, I never seen so much red in my life, man. I mean, you would think it was a gang or something. I mean, people throwing up the L side for Louisville. And, uh, man, you know, that was like the only time I could say, besides Muhammad Lee passed away to everybody, it was a peaceful week and stuff. No violence, no nothing going on. So, yeah, man, you know, those that, were, that was a great moment. Right. And speaking of the GOAT, Muhammad Ali, can, we, can you just talk about the impact that he's had not only in Louisville, but the world, and then also being from the same yeah. hometown and just knowing that there's remnants yeah. of the greatest everywhere. Yeah, Muhammad Ali, you know, he definitely was a big inspiration, you know, in our community, especially in, like, in the West End of Louisville, you know, because uh, I'm going to tell you this, this is a true story. He grew up with my uncle, my uncle named Charles. They were around the same age and stuff. And uh, they used to hang out from little kids up to like their teens and stuff before Muhammad Ali's career, you know, took off. Because uh, he used to come to my grandfather's house. But uh, me, you know, I definitely was a fan of Muhammad Ali. You know, I wish I could have saw him fight, you know, if, if I was, you know, uh, uh, around the age at that time. But watching like videotapes of him play, I said, wow, this guy, you know, he was, you know, he was our, you know, like he was our Michael Jackson. He was our uh, Michael Jordan. You know, he was our James Brown. He was just the the, uh, the culture of it. And, you know, one thing I can't say about Muhammad Ali is that, you know, he always took pride in his city. He never forgot where he came from. He never was a sellout. You know, he loved his community. To have a street name named after him, as, as says a lot. But uh, when he uh, passed away and, uh so I knew that driving, I knew that driving down there, you know, would, would be no luck. So me and my buddy, we caught the bus, you know, saying uh, down there and uh, to see, you know, uh, his farewell because they had his body in the casket. So make a long story short, I see his daughter, uh, Layla Ali, she was in the car and stuff. And uh, man, I tell you, dude, I mean, I done seen a lot of fine entertainers in person, but that sister, man, she, man, you know, beautiful, though. And then 
I see her come out the limo. I remember I waved at her, and she blew a kiss and was like, thank you, you know, for, you know, pray for me, my family and stuff. But, uh, you know, what Muhammad Lee, you know, man, for me, I can't speak for everybody, is that, you know, no matter where you come from, never, never forget, you know, who you are as a person. You know, you can make it. You know, it might take a long road, but once you get there, you know, you know you succeed and stuff. And that will motivate any black woman, any black man, you know, to do a lot of great things. And, you know, Muhammad, you know, people like Muhammad Ali before the hotel, you know, it motivates me to who I am. So, yeah, I, I definitely take pride in that. Right. And to see how Ali risked it all, put it all on the line, stood on his principles <laughs> and the likes of John Carlos, Tommy Smith, uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and Colin Kaepernick, how they were able to take a stand, willing to put it all on the line and forego <laughs> riches for principles. And that's an honorable thing that you can do. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, because, you know, he, you know, one thing about, I'm going to say about Muhammad Ali, you know, he lived by the code. And, you know, besides Churchill Downs bringing a lot of celebrities in, he had a lot, you know, for him to be the first ever to come from Louisville to, to really cross over, you know, during his, during the prime of his career, and people being attracted to Louisville, you know, he definitely, you know, brought a different uh, stratosphere, you know, because one thing I can say about here in Louisville, you know, is that uh, we have a lot of great couple of attractions because, like you said, when people think about Louisville, they think about, you know, the horse racing, and Muhammad Ali maybe several things, but it's a lot, you know, that we have out there just that it's not marketed right, you know. So I think that's what hurts, you know, Louisville at the end. But there's a lot of great things out here, you know, say just that sometimes being from a different state, when you hear about stuff, you just hear about hearsay, but people don't tell you all. And it, it, it is also disappointing, too, because, you know, we got, you know, Jack Harlow, we got Bryce Till and everybody, you know, they said it for Louisville, but you know, you don't see them really breaking down, you know, how this city is and stuff. You know, a lot of great things, you know. You just hear a lot of, you hear a lot of them, but you don't hear, you know, what's going on. Yeah, and while you're in Louisville, folks, be sure to copy your hot brown. You'll thank me later. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, it's, it plus on top of that, you know, we got a lot of great Black-owned businesses uh, in Louisville. You know, we have a lot of great, you know, restaurants and stuff. I mean, a lot of African cultures. It, you know, it's, it's very big in Louisville, you know, just like any other state and stuff, man. man. You know, we take pride in what we do. I mean, the restaurants, man, like you said, you know, definitely go get you one. You know, you would not be disappointed on that. Yeah, and explain to the people what is a hot brown and why it's so important to Louisville. Hot brown, oh, man. A hot brown, you know what, I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, it's like, okay, it's like uh, KFC, you know, uh, uh when you think about KFC, you think about Kentucky, you know, it's like when it's like eating a piece of chicken and once you eat that, man, it's like you want to order it again, 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 you know what I'm saying? And that's why I say, you know, uh, uh, you know, hot brown, man, is definitely more popular local because I'm going to tell you, though, what's, okay, when it comes to products, what makes a little stand out is you got the, uh, what, what is it, uh, Grippos, Chips, Big red <laughs> and uh yeah, hot brown and white castles, you know what I'm saying? Because you know, being black, you know, we don't, I mean, I know we don't make grip on chips and big reds billionaires. Everybody from the hood though don't ate that, you know. Since uh, anybody that's from my city knows what I'm talking about. But yeah, hot brown, man, trust me, 
once you get a high brow, you would not be disappointed. Yeah. No lie. <laughs> yeah, the grip on the bit red sounds lovely and hood certified at a hood gas yeah. station near you. So the more suspect the gas station is, you know that food gonna be fire. Man, that food gonna be straight fire, man. You would not be disappointed, man, because I, you know, Grippo's chips is the one chips I can say that I never got burnt out of. I never drunk Big Red because I was a Big Red person, but like my mom and and her friends and my auntie, they was Big Red, you know, fanatics. Um, me growing up, I was more like a Pepsi person, you know, so I never cared too much for, you know, uh, drinking uh, uh, Big Red. I guess because my taste buds, you know, wouldn't, you know, accept that stuff, though. But yeah, you know, Big Red was definitely the main the main drink back there. Facts. And if you're ever anywhere in the South, there's a restaurant you all must try called Cookout. You will not be disappointed. Founded in North Carolina, be sure to get your double-double tray or a cheddar cheese chicken tray. No onions with mayo and bacon and then the double side of fries. And they have the great North Carolina export called Cheerwine. You will thank me later. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's what I like about that too, you know, because growing up, you know, uh, even though I like Doritos and fun years and a little chips I ate over the years, but you know, Grippo was my number one chip because of how I got introduced to Grippos, uh, it was back in 1987. I never forget my cousin. Um, you know, he came out of the store. And back in those days, you know, when Pepsi used to be in glass bottles before it became plastic, and uh he used to get like free drinks, you know, like loans that the bottles were empty and clean. He'd be able to, you know, get like refills and stuff. So one day, I was about like maybe five or six years old, and he said, Sean, you know, do you want to? Uh, uh, he said, I'm gonna buy you a grip on bag. I said, okay, cool. And then uh, he gave me the bag. So as a little boy, when I ate, I said, man, in my mind, I'm like, this is really good. Since then, but I, I became a Grippos fanatic. And stuff. You, know, I, you know, Doritos like number two on my list, but yeah, Grippos, yeah, that's my number one. So, I, man, I swear that's the only chips I can say I could eat forever. So if I had to choose between Doritos and Grippos, Grippos is quicker. Yeah, you know, so up. Grippos, cut Mr. Solar Fett a check and Waffle House, cut me a check, but you got to make sure you go to a <laughs> sketchy Waffle House. Exactly. And it, gets, and, and it gets live after midnight. So if you're lame or nerd, don't go to Waffle House after midnight because it gets real in the field. Nah. Yeah, do you know in Louisville, do not go to Waffle House at midnight because that's where people have gotten robbed. You know, it's like it's better go to Waffle House between uh, like uh, eight in the morning. The ladies maybe like seven in the after, seven in the evening, but yeah, twelve a.m. Uh, you know, saying yeah, you know that's the worst time. I, I, the only person, the only place I can say. It's safe to go to the Waffle House. It's a street called Eastern Parkway. It is down the street from Louisville campus. That's the only place I could say that, you know, if you do go to Waffle House, that's the safest place, you know, say if you want to eat it. But everywhere else in Louisville, nah, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, anywhere near a college campus, you know you're going to be so safe. Go a couple of blocks yeah. east, north, south, or west, and it's a little suspect. Don't ask for Yeah, directions. absolutely. Nah, please don't. You know, say that's what I got a GPS for. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the element is outside and then full of that, just like how back in the days with nightclubs and how, you know, when certain people come up in the crowd, you can tell they have Black Air Force One energy. And when they say, let me go to my car, they're not going for license and registration either. Nah, they really ain't. Nah, they really ain't. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got to be worried about pulling by no police, none of that crap. You know what I'm saying? Or nobody kind of 
you know, stick up, you know, because, like, that's the only Waffle House I ever ate and stuff. I mean, I've been to a different Waffle House before in the past, but the atmosphere, you know, is different and stuff, you know. And you got some people that's around you, they want to try other things, but you know that it's not safe to be around that area, you know what I'm saying? But, right. yeah, you know, some, some people, man, they just messed up in the head. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, speaking of not safe, uh, crunk music in a nightclub in the early 2000s was bound to get you smashed up your lip busted, wig split, mean mug, <laughs> yeah. cold cop. So can we talk about the importance of the crunk era, what that whole scene in Atlanta, then also 3-6 Mafia, right. who I felt was kind of the precursor to what was going on in Atlanta with crunk and Little John, because they had their right. own because once Montana Club Up came on, you knew chairs was about to be flying and there was going to be some furniture moving. Oh, man. You know what, man? I'm going to tell you, man, because like, when the 90s, you know, was a rap, when the 2000 came in, uh, I remember when I saw Lil John, and this before Lil John became who he is, and it was back in the 2000s, it was a song called I Like Them Girls. And when I saw it on BET, this is when one of the Park, no, nah, no, nah, this is when Rap, this was Big Tim was still hosting Rap City. And I'll never forget, I came, I was coming home from school, and I said, what in the Negro hell is this shit? <laughs> you know, so that's the first impression I had. And then all of a sudden, though, you know, here come the Yee Yee Twins, you know, here come uh, Lil Scrappy, you know, here come, you know, all these other rappers, Bone Crusher, all in between. That's what I knew that R&B was starting slowly having to cry and eat, uh, a decline, even though you had Usher, the Chanty, the Sierra was still, you know, keeping R&B at effect. But I knew that that this was the way that was going to overshadow what how soul music you know was was because because one thing people don't realize too you know when there's a new way coming in the music executives the whole uh mainstream media they were invested to that you know sometimes it be for the good sometimes it be for the bad just like how when uh new jack swing came in that became a great investment it's like when hardcore rap came in, that became a new investment. And, and that's how all those, those flavors have. But crunk music, man, I'm going to tell you straight up. I mean, there's some songs I like, but some of that stuff, man, it was getting a little too overrated, you know. But I knew that wave was going to, you know, fade out some type of way, you know what I'm saying? But as far as in Atlanta, man, you know, it put Atlanta on the map because people forget that when RJ 2000, you know, he was at the Source Awards, Back in 1985, this is coming from the Southern Palestine Calais music, you know. And uh, when the whole East and West Coast had their beef, when he said that Southside got something to say, that blew, you know, the whole South up, even the state of Georgia up, you know. And then uh, to see how, you know, South music, you know, began in the 90s, ways down, man, it's bad, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Uh, you know, for me, you know, uh, I mean, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, you know, when, when there's a certain sound, I don't hate on nobody. It's just that I'm not really a big fan of it, you know, and stuff. But uh, then, then, I mean, T.I., you know, one of my favorite artists is and stuff, I could say that uh, I could really listen to and stuff, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, anybody can go out here saying, <laughs> say, yeah, what? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, and I'm going to tell you what's so funny, though, when Little John was dominating, you know, that era, man, it's like, you could not go nowhere you know, around that time without hearing Lil John's catchphrases. I mean, you I mean, you know, with like Louisville, they had a, they had a club called Breaking Ice. They had another club called Phoenix Hill and a bunch of other areas. Back then we go to these clubs, man, everybody be black, white, Asian, Mexican, 
you know, uh, everybody was saying that. So it just goes show you, you know, say like how how popular that was back then and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, but I knew the movie was dying down when it got like around 20, 2007. That's what I knew that it was going to another wave. Right, but at that time, it was dance at the club at your own risk or be prepared to oh, start man. fighting. Yeah, you ain't lying, man, because I ain't gonna lie to you, man. Well, uh, this was back in 2003. This is when Little Scrappy was like on fire, man. I went to this club called Phoenix Hill and they got that club went down, man, because every Wednesday, man, was college night, supposed to be college night. And uh, I never forget, uh, okay, we went to Phoenix Hill. The first floor was the uh, was the R&B floor. The second floor was the hip hop floor. The third was rock and something else. And this and uh, when they played a little uh, scrappy, so man, it was one fight. You know, it was a far left. You had two dudes fight over a girl, and and and, and then on the other fight, you had you had like two women dressed to, like boys. I mean, all, you know, it was getting to it, man. It was wow, man. I mean, one song, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 destroyed the whole club, man. And as me as me, and my boys, we was leaving out. Two girls get into it. There was heavy set. There wasn't fist fighting. They were just grabbing each other, trying to pound each other on the concrete, man. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, man. So yeah. the club scene was dangerous back then. Right. Especially like when I first heard Juju on the beat, I was like, man, that ain't nothing but Nucky Do Buck. Yeah. That's all it is, man. That's all it is. You know, ain't no remakes. Cause you know, after a while, I think we heard the club music, we, you know, we hear a lot of, yeah, yeah. Everything, everything else starts sounding the same. You know, and I think, you know, what heard the crunk music and just that, it, you know, it, it created a lot of violence and stuff because Atlanta at the time used to be the to-go state. Besides, like, for celebrities, like, if you didn't live in New York or L.A., Atlanta was the place to be. It ain't like what it used to be now, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but uh, but Atlanta do got a lot of talent. I think what hurts Atlanta the most is that is so much infatuated with gun violence and you have women you know, dressing like they have to do an audition for Love and Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. And, and it hurts, you know, other artists trying to, you know, uh, bring some peaceful music to Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's sad because there's no creativity to it. So, like I said, you, you know, the old heads have to really come together, really, you know, do something about that, man. You know, but yeah, it all starts. Yeah. yeah, that's why Ludacris said in Georgia and Film Mob, that's why he had to keep his Georgia Tech close by, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it ain't talking about basketball either. <laughs> no, shout out to them Yellow Jackets at Georgia Tech. Megatron yeah. just got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But speaking on New Jack yeah. Swing, can we just talk about how when Keith Sweat's Make It Last Forever album came out in 87, how that shifted yeah. The sound of R&B and later with uh, I'll Be Sure's in Effect Mode guys debut album in '88, in, in, in New Editions Heartbreak album in '88, Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cool album same year, and yeah. how prior to those monumental albums in that era, how R&B changed. You know what? Uh, okay, when at 1987, you know, rolled in. You know. Prior to that, you know, back then, you know, RB was trying to find a hole because here, the, here it was, you know, we just, you know, disco finally died out. And RB at the time started selling kind of pop because you had Michael Jackson doing pop and a lot of Richie and stuff. 
But, you know, when, when Make It Last Forever came out, man, that, you know, definitely, like you said, changed the game because, you know, the production of Teddy Rowdy, man, you know, he took New Jack Swing, you know, it took R&B on a different level because all of a sudden, man, you know, when that wave came in, dude, I mean, you could, I mean, it became, New Jack Swing became a monster because video soul, man, you know, they played the hell out of uh, uh, those videos, man, and you know, the, the culture, man, started coming to life, you know, and, 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 and like, New Jack Swing, especially from New York, to be birthed in New York, man, you start to see a lot of artists and groups and everybody, man, start to really, you know, benefit off of that. And they did, you know. You know, some of them came and went, but the ones that, that became a mainstay, man, just took things to orbit. Uh, Mega Last Forever, man, to be the Kickstarter of it, man, I tell you, man, that album definitely the blueprint. You know, I'll be sure and Mike Brown, Don't Be Cool album, man. Those albums, man, definitely, you know, took New Jack Swing to New Heights and stuff. So, um, definitely was a milestone. But as far as Keith Sweat, man, you know, you definitely got to give him credit because to to kick off what his, what his album did, you know, it inspired a lot of artists who want to do the same thing. You know, it inspired Mike Brown, inspired Al B. Short, inspired, you know, his, you know, Terry Wright's old group guy, you know, uh, the rest is history, man. So, yeah, New Jack Swing, definitely my number one favorite genre. Yeah, I agree. And it had so much spread of influence that the pop world had yeah. to get in on. Of course, New Kids on the Block had elements of New Jack Swing in their records. Paul Abdul, and she did yep. a remix of Straight Up that was produced by Mr. Marley Mall, which is a yep. dope fire remix. And then, of course, you know, everything else that came on after that. And then from New Jack Swing, we have the transition into hip hop soul and everything that Diddy did while he was over at Uptown, rest in peace, Andre Harrell, with uh, Mary J. Blige and Jodeci. And you mentioned Player, and with Jodeci, Devontae Swing had put yep. Player along with Timbaland, Missy, Tweet back when she was in this group called Sugar. And Missy was in a group called yep. Sister, which was the female equivalent to Jodeci. So again, we just talk about their influence and how Devontae just had an eye for talent with all the talent he had in the basement. Man, you know what? Uh, when New Jack Sweet faded out like in 94, and, and, and I want to, you know, I'm glad you brought it up, man. Before I get to that, man, you know, because... Uh, when Major Blige came out with the hip hop soul, you know, sound, you know, in 1992, you know, through, you know, various producers and stuff, it was different because you and I know back then, just about all the female artists was was the same, just about almost to a certain extent. When Major Blige came in, she carried herself as a rapper, even though she was a singer, but she had like this hip hop energy to her, and that changed the whole core to the music. Um, you know, but far as yeah, but like you say with with, with Devontae Swing, man, you know, we had like what's called like Swing Bob or something like that. Because yeah. I remember when uh Missy Ellen was in a girl group, and I remember Video Soul played a song uh a couple times. I can't think of the, the ladies in the group. And I'm gonna tell you what's so funny about that. When I looked at Missy Ellen in that group, I felt like she didn't fit right for that. Even though the song was dope, when I saw her, I said, Man, something about this lady right here in the middle. I felt like she's definitely going to really, you know, get it to her own zone. It was weird when I said that all of a sudden a year later, you saw see the hopping and remixes with that group called Broken Stuff, She's Mine, you know, uh, 
she does bad today to hold. I mean, for I mean Devontae Bell, you gotta give him credit regardless of the shenanigans that was happening for him to birth out Timberland, Missy Elliott, uh player, Gia Wise, you know, only uh was it uh Magoo. I can't say everybody made it out of it because everybody you know they had different avenues in their careers, but the ones that did made it, you know, you could tell they had great potential. To see where they are now, man, it's a pretty blessing, man. So yeah, true. And, and speaking of player, if you all get a chance to listen to that Cheers to You album, please do so. Yeah, man, classic, you know. But uh, I could I could tell you, man, because I knew New Jack Sweet was fading out because by that time, right around like. 93, that's when artists start doing less New Jack Swing, you know. It was like a, a like a head full, but not a whole lot. And then when uh and people don't, I mean, I'm gonna say this though, okay. Even though you know, you know, the world gives Erica Badu, D'Angelo, uh was it Maxwell credit or Dio Social, people don't realize, you know, that the uh, the group John A, the duo, they was at they had Dio So in their music. That was kind of like a pre-Dio So. And I don't think they get the credit because it was kind of the kickstart in the middle when New Jack Swing was still on fire, you know, 93, 94 around that time. So that was kind of like of it, though. But, um, you know, for me, New Jack Swing, man, you know, definitely, man, you know, was, you know, I, I tell you, man, it's funny, man. That's like the only, you know, John Rocker say that you look on Instagram, you look on Facebook, you look at all these groups, man. It's like so many New Jack Swing pages, man. It's unbelievable, man, you know, so... I mean, back then, you know, people used to dance in clubs, you know, right. so New Jack Swing definitely, man, uh, you know, for what it does, I believe, but now, nah, but like, like you would say, hip hop so bad, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I tell you, man, you know, it was, it took me a while to get used to that, because I was still, you know, you know, still in my new, you know, I was still a fan of New Jack Swing, because sometimes, you know, when, when certain situations phase out, when other one comes in, it takes a while to grow on to it. So, mm-hmm. but uh, but it didn't take that long at all. But yeah, man, you know, uh, hip hop soul, man, to have Brady Blige, you know, bring it in. Then you had Jody Steve, you know, everybody else, man. That really took R and B man to different levels, man. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about R and B. It's it's so many layers of it because R B is the mothership. It birthed out so many, you know, uh, sales of it. Right. Give me your top three most underrated albums during the New Jack Swing hip hop soul era. Ooh, top three underrated New Jack Swing albums. Man, yeah, man. Let me see. The top three. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, okay. I'm going to the top three and I'm going to break down the stories behind that too. Okay. The Boys album, the third album, Soccer Continues. Uh, okay, what else? New Jack Swing. <laughs> High five second uh second album, keep it going on. Okay. Damn, man. This is like put me on the spot, man. Okay. Uh, okay, you know what? This is it's it's not. Let me see. Okay. Special Generations. Nah, it's not New Jack Swing album. It's like in between. You know what, man? It's kind of hard, man. You know what I'm saying? So many great albums, man. Okay, okay. The Mo Buddy soundtrack. 
you know, definitely mm. underrated by eyes. Because it don't get a lot of praises like Booba Ray does, but I get it because it came out right at the same time as that soundtrack does and stuff. So, yeah, man. I hope I hope it wasn't missing anything, you know, in between. But, no, uh, no, 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 no. Scratch that. Keith Sweat's album, Keep It Coming. You know, definitely was an underrated album. You know, definitely was underrated. Right. You and, know. Yeah, and I believe on that album, Joe Public did some stuff on that album, too. And they were underrated as well. Yeah, definitely underrated, man, because uh, it's weird, like, when Keep It Coming came out, okay, Keith Sweat, you know, he had number one hit, was a self-titled Keep It Coming. That went number one. It knocked out Michael Jackson, you know, Dangerous album, Temporary. And then, uh, and then, uh, when that song called YB Baby, I think what kind of heard that was okay, you hear Ella Cooney talking on the original track, and then the remix, you know, you see her rapping and stuff. And I think that kind of helped out a whole lot. I think around that time, you know, around 91, 92, 93, it was a, a, a whole ship change going on, you know, uh, in that gap. But I feel like, you know, t- t- I, mean, I feel like Keith Sweat should definitely got a lot of praise off the album because the album was dope. It just that sometimes, man, you know, with albums, it's like you only get that one type of high praises. It's like, you know, we look at Mike Brown, you think of, as far as album, why you think of Don't Be Cool? People look over the Bobby album. The Bobby album is dope. I tell people all the time, it's way how these news executives market it. And it's not the wrong have an artist have a creative freedom, but sometimes it's good to have people to, there was somebody like Jim J. T. Lewis to kind of like, you know, put their two cents in to kind of spike things up. But, you know, it's it's it's, 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 a, it's a very combination of some albums being slept on. Right. And I'll give you my three plus an honorable mention um, in no particular order. Prince Marky D in the Soul Convention, free, rest in peace, Prince Marky D. Yeah. Um, intro, yeah, in intro's debut album. And the yeah. other album that I want to put in there is uh, Joe's debut album, Everything, which was on Mercury. Oh, so it was yeah. a shame that that album got slept on, but he later reaped the rewards once he left Mercury to go over to Jive. Oh, man, you know what? I'm glad you point that out, man. You know, because... I, I mean, I wish I would have thought of that question, man, because that album, you know, Joe's first album, Everything, is the most slept on album. But see, I remember Joe when he first came out. You know, we hear like the flat top cut and stuff. And uh, I remember his videos. And it's weird because sometimes, like, I look at the comments on YouTube or, or like, I might post a video of Joe for that. That's why I always post some of the stuff on the first album to remind her. And people would say, oh, I remember that album. That's probably because you had no cable, <laughs> you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, but on a serious note, uh, the thing about Mercury Records, you know, they did, you know, it's like they didn't really, they didn't really, they really did promote Joe enough because they had uh, Joe, they had Robert Knight, they had a various of people. So it's like, it's sad part about it. Here it is, Joe's first album. I mean, I'm in love, The One for Me, All or Nothing, Three Bagging Joints. I mean, that album should have went platinum at least. And mm-hmm. for some reason, you know, the album got slept on. I think that have uh, have Joe would have been with Jive Records at first, that album could have really took things, you know, straight to orbit, you know what I'm saying? You know, and uh, it's funny, though, because people didn't really start becoming Joe fans until he did all things that Ben won't do for the Don't Be Minutes, which is on his second album, uh, uh, 
uh, all that I am. So it's weird how, you know, how arts is pushed, you know, but uh, yeah, that album definitely, you know, should have had, should have went platinum, man, because the album was slamming. Yeah, Mercury, to me, just really wasn't a good home for R&B acts. They're more known nah. for pop rock, John Cougar Mellencamp, later Hanson, and I don't know if you know, but Mercury had a chance to sign Backstreet Boys, but when John Mellencamp got word, he was like, I'll leave y'all if y'all sign this boy group because this was after the new kids hype and everything like that. Yeah. And America was trying to get back into the pop swing and Mercury's lost jazz game. Yeah. Yeah, man, because, you know, that's the thing too, you know, because, and, you know, I think it's best for a black, you know, executive or promoter to deal with a black artist. Because if you have somebody that's obviously a race, and I don't want to sound like it's racist or nothing like that, but I think it's best to only deal with your own race because at least with somebody who is black and they know how to market a black artist, they know where the place to go to to make sure this artist succeeds through and stuff. A lot of times when you deal with the opposite race, you're going to get a lot of shenanigans, you know. Uh, like, for example, you know, uh, you know, just like with Capitol Records, same way as, you know, Bucket Records, man, I, I like the, their label folded. And just like giant records, it's like how you gonna sell the artist? You know how to market it. You know, it's like you want these black artists in, but you know how to market them. It's, I mean, you know, come on now, you know, it's all common sense. So that's why I say, you know, if, if you can't push it right, hire somebody in to really take them to a whole different level. So it's not only a loss for the artists, it's also a big loss for them where they messed up at. So, you know, uh, you know, man, you know, like I said, Say you know, uh, uh, Joe. You know, I, I wish she. I wish he did had that push like he did for the rest of some. You know, rest of his albums that was real well. But you know how that goes, man. Right. And my honorable mention album is um, NKOTB's '94 Face the Music album. And I think what killed that was it was at the height when they got too big, and that's why they changed their name from New Kids on the Block to NKOTB. But when I interviewed Danny Wood, he was telling me that they had recorded that album too late and missed on catching that last little bit of that New Kids wave before it started to crash out. Yeah, and you know, that's, you know, I, I think that's what hurts the artists too, though, because when they take a break and stuff, and that's one thing artists, you know, get burnt out, feel exhausted and stuff, but when you take a break too long, it hurts like, like, what's her name, Tracy Spencer, when she was like the hot commodity, you know, for Capitol Records, but Capitol Records was looking for younger artists after they felt like, well, you know, well, even though we had the whispers and never more, we need to go to a younger market. And you know how music executives are and stuff. And Tracy Spears like the number one, you know, golden artist because they had her special generation. When she took a break, decided to focus on school, which that's cool. But when she did came back, it was like too late. You know, we, you know, especially when the artists take a seven year gap, mm. you know, then, you know, you're lucky, you know, you might go plan them again, but not to be artists that can do it at, you know. Yeah, because I know Sammy, Sammy kind of did the same thing once from the bottom to the top, blew up. He took a hiatus, yeah. came back years later, but he took his break too early, right before Chris Brown and everybody else came in and really missed catching that wave. Yeah. Yeah, man. You know, the only artist that got lucky was Maxwell when he took a break from 2002 and he came back in 2009. He was the only one that came back with Platinum, got a Grammy, and 
is only one. And so, and that's the thing too, though. Like you said, you know, when your career just gets started at your peak, keep it going. You know, I can see if you made like five, six albums, you took a break in between. That's understandable. But when you own your second album or your first album, you got to keep it going because you you in the kickstart of what's uh, ready to happen. And that's what hurts the artist's value uh, when it comes to those situations and stuff and, and, and things. You know, it, it just said, you know, how, how stuff like that happens, you know, with with artists. And people always say to me, hey, whatever happened to this artist, you know, just check out this story, you know, or, or read it, you know, and then you'll get the better understanding of what happened when it came back and stuff. So, uh, you know, it's sad too, because like when, when Tracy came in, she was the only female artist as far as the teenager that was going, that was making like black and gold records. When she took it, when she disappeared, you know, saying, here come Aaliyah, here come Brad, here come Monica. So people forgot about Tracy Spencer and went all straight to them. So it's like, when you take a break for the music for a long time, they create another you in this business. That's just how it is. Right, industry rule number 4,080. Now, let's talk about how I feel this group was severely underrated. They had hits, and their biggest thing to me was that they were able to take records that originally wasn't theirs, but make it their own, and they could dance their behinds off. So I'm talking about those boys out of Pasadena, Allen, Rodney, Reggie, rest in peace, yeah. John John, and Steve, Troop. Yeah, man, Troop, man. I tell you, you know what? I'm going to tell you, man, uh, those brothers was a dancing machine group. Man. I mean, they dance. When I say they dance hard, they dance hard. I mean, when I was coming up, man, I mean, especially like the second album, Attitude Era, between like A991, oh my God, I mean, you know, Troop, you know, had had like the uh, the music world pop their heads because it was the only group that was dancing. Even though you had the boys and stuff uh, that was dancing, but Troop had that magnetic, man. I mean, you know, those dudes was, I mean, to have, you know, two number one back-to-back hits, spread my wings, all do was thank you and, and the various top 10 hits. You could go nowhere without hearing Troop song on radio, Watching video so watching Big I Love, Video Vibrations, where we had the box. They was on Club MTV, the party machine. I mean, those dudes was bad, man. They was like it was like five Michael Jacksons <laughs> in one. And you know, they was ahead of their time, man. You know, uh, I just wish that, you know, had they would have stayed focused and kept the business together, man. They would have more than found a way. They probably would have maybe like 12, you know, all together, you know, and more success in between. Um, you know, but they but 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 as far as true, you definitely gotta put them up there as one of the greatest uh boy bands, you know, to make their impact and stuff as well he did, you know. Especially before Joe C and all these other groups came in because True picked up where New Edition left off and when New Edition went on his solo ways. Oh yeah, and the boys too. So, you know, and uh to pick up and, and continue that boy band tradition. Right. And because you mentioned New Edition, how New Edition's dance style is more of the school of Temptations, Shy Lights, Whispers, right. Blue Magic, because that's who Brooke Payne was influenced by when uh, putting together yeah. the steps for New Edition. But true, their dancing was slick, hard, and it was just as tight. And I don't know if you know this, but Turned Away by Chucky Booker was originally supposed to go to True. Yeah, yeah, I remember that story, man. And and I was pitching it too because 
I remember hearing about it in the interview. I think it was uh, yours. I think it was uh, yeah. Halftime Chat, one or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I interviewed Chucky, uh, he told me that. And then when I interviewed uh, John John, Steve, and Rodney, they all confirmed that it was true that Turned Away was supposed to go to them. But when Sylvia Rohn heard it, she told Chucky, it's going on your album. And when Chucky told Troop that she said Turned Away was for me, they were like, man, we want a song similar. And that's how we got Spread My Wings. Oh, man, yeah, man. Because I, I, I can only imagine, you know, have, you know, okay, I can imagine, if they had Turned Away, did add Spread Wings on that album, that album card probably, probably would have went double platinum. I bet you, you know, uh, you know, I tell you, I tell you, you know, uh, Troop, when I saw them perform on our City Hall show, and uh, I remember when this is when, uh, okay, this is when the third album, Deeper, came out. And uh, when they did whatever it takes to make you stay, man, they danced their butts off and stuff. I, I, I like how they all crashed down on, on the ground. I, I thought that was super dope and stuff, you know. And Troop is dope, man. Like, all they did get the credit they deserve because. Here it is. You had boy bands that were singing, but they wasn't dancing. So mm-hmm. it's like truth. They gave you both. You right. Know? That's what made them so unique. Right. And talking about new edition, I want to get your take on the Battle of Boston performance that they did at the AMAs with fellow Boston group New Kids on the Block, and how for me as a fan of both groups, it was amazing to see how it had been talked about for years about new edition and new kids with the Marie star connection yeah. and how new kids pretty much took what new edition did on the pop side and really exploded it. And how Donnie, Danny, all the guys said, if it wasn't for new edition, there'd be no us. And then to see BTS and a lot of the younger groups in the right. crowd show reverence and respect to those two groups that pretty much paved the way for, we could pretty much go four decades worth of, male pop and R&B groups. So can we talk about the impact of both New Edition and New Kids on the Block? You know what? Uh, when I got the word about when New Edition, New Kids on the Block was performing together, it wasn't no brainer. I knew, far as a fan, I knew that was going to come together. And far as a businessman, that was a great situation because it showed that, here it is, New Edition came in the game, both groups from Boston. It showed that, you know, no matter how much success and fame they had, it still was because when I saw the two perform it, I said, man, this is epic, man, you know, because you know, to have two one of the greatest boy bands of all time, one of the most talked about boy bands of all time, the most celebrated boy bands of all, all time, I thought that was epic. I wish, I, I thought to myself, I said, man, I wish you would have done that back in the day, back in the 80s, but, you know, politics and everything. I thought it was cool because this was needed for the culture, and I'm glad they're older because there were no egos with all this riffraff, you know, anything like that. But uh, I'm glad that the new school groups like BTS and other groups saw that. It shows you that, you know, you could be like it too. As long as you stay focused, keep a circle small, you know, don't let outside people come in messing with what you got going on and stuff. And uh, I'm glad that American Music Awards put new kids on block, new edition together because one thing people don't realize is this, American Music Awards always show love to new edition, uh, group and solo as new kids on the block, because when people look at it from like the late 80s and early part of the 90s, they always show love. And then for them to come back to, you know, for, for those two boy bands to come together, it showed the world that regardless of the age, they can still put on a good show. So, yeah, but I can tell you, it was so funny, man. 
where the show was aired, people are all by Facebook. That's a new edition fan. Do it. Everybody was like, oh, come on, man. We do this to go perform and stuff. I get it, but it's like going to a concert. So it's like you got the open deck, you got the big card, you got the headliner. It's like when you pay your ticket, you're gonna have to wait. So that's <laughs> just how it is. Me, I was cool, man. Like whenever they came on, I would just have it. They was performing. Right. And speaking of paying your ticket, new edition is currently out on tour right now with the culture tour with themselves. Uncle Charlie is some spot dates and Jodeci. So, and then new kids, they'll be going out on tour again, I believe in May with their mixtape tour that they do every year. Um, this year's lineup yeah. is themselves, Rick Ashley, In Vogue, and Salt and Pepper. But it just goes to show how both those groups, Strong Impacts, still out touring, making money. And I think what gets lost in new kids' pop success was that they were trained and assembled to be an R&B group, but it was only once that pop station out of Florida started playing Please Don't Go Girl. That was when MTV, Nickelodeon, and everything that was pop came yeah. along because remember, they made a bootleg version of the video for Please Don't Go Girl, which you only saw yeah. on BET. Yep, yeah, yeah, because uh, when I first, because I remember as a little boy, when I first heard uh, Please Don't Go Girl, and I was like, I said, man, what is this right here? When I first heard it, before I saw the video, I thought it was an old song from New Kids on the Block, like an unreleased track or something. And then when I saw the video, I was like, what? I was like, man, they, you know, they singing the R&B record. And yeah, man, you know, and I, I, I went to what's so funny about that. When that song blew up, they performed on Showtime and Apollo. And then, uh, by that time, this is when the right stuff, you know, uh, uh, came out. And you see them dancing. All the fans of the crowd were saying, go white boy, go white boy, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, for them to be accepted in the black, you know, uh, uh, community as far as R&B, man, that was, that was new to us, you know, compared to what it is now, man. So, you know, to, for them to start out like that, you know, I mean, that was, man, I mean, that was the easy, uh, self-quicker than any, you know, my arts, you know, get sent to a black, you know, crowd. Right. And then speaking of New Edition, the crazy thing about New Edition, they had success as a group, but then all six members yeah. branched off to do solo ventures. And then Michael Bivens discovered one of the best-selling male groups of all time, Boys to Men. So can we just speak on how New Edition, Together, and Apart influenced pop and R&B? And we saw how when the miniseries came out, it did record numbers. When they got their yeah. star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, numbers came out for the ceremony. And then with this culture tour, how they're pretty much almost selling out every venue. You know what? I'm going to tell you, you know, I said this in a lot of times in Facebook Live. I said this in Instagram. I just said this, you know, even, you know, writing things down. Doing this is the only group, you know, this ain't about the color. This is just, you know, just the group itself. The only one, the only one, the only one number one as a group and have platinum success, but to go number one, all six members with number one solo. Bevin Vaughn with number one, Mike Brown with number one, Rat Transvet, Johnny Gill. I mean, the Jacksons never got a chance to do that besides Michael and Jermaine. But, uh, you know, for them to 
you know, I mean, to have Bobby win a Grammy, to win a People's Choice Award, that's on a different level and stuff. And I think that those situations should always be talked about. And for them to have to have a Star Walker fade, you know, I was like, finally, you know, they should have got that further than that, you know. Uh, but they definitely, they definitely need to be the Rock Hall of Fame because I tell you, you know, like I didn't realize how big New Edition Impact was until I got on Facebook. I mean, man, I kid you not, man. Like when I started joining these fan clubs and stuff, I was like, wow. I was like, besides the Jacksons, and so many uh, New Edition fan clubs, I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. Because you have fans, they would travel around the world just to go see these guys and stuff. I mean, you name it, man. I mean, you know, they up there. So that's why I say, you know, when it comes to the greatest boy basketball time, you got to put a new edition up there, you know, because not just what they've done as a group and what they've done uh, solo individual and stuff. I mean, man, their impact, man, you know, uh, I can say, man, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. And when you think about Bobby and how he milked Don't Be Cruel for four years, from 88 until 92, the release of the Bobby album, that he was eating yeah. off of that one album. The album went diamond. That means 10 million sales. Most popular best-selling album of 1989. I mean, that yeah. album, you got to give it to him. And also, you got to give it to L.A. and Babyface and also Teddy Riley, who did My Prerogative, how they were able to take Bobby's bad boy edge and smooth it out. Yeah. A la kind of sort of what BBD was saying, smoothed out on the R&B tip, hip-hop-wise, because Bobby had that hip-hop bravado, but you just had to smooth it out with that clean, pristine R&B production that only LaFace could bring. Yeah, man, you know what? It was like, you know, Mike Brown was like, there was a time when that album came out, when the album did what it was supposed to do, he was like, there was kind of, he was like the next Michael Jackson, 89, I mean, you know, to have Don't Be Cool, Bob Paragon, Roadie, Rock With You, every little step. And, you know, and it was crazy because he became way more bigger than New Edition. He was performing at way bigger reason than New Edition. To be on magazines that New Edition get, you know, it's one thing going platinum and your career is going one way, boy, but when your album goes diamond, your career is going so many higher levels because it's one thing, you know, with an artist with a Grammy, you know, that's to be suspected. But when it win a People's Choice Award, that's a whole different level and stuff, you know. And Bobby, you know, to go on tour off that one album from 1988 to 1991, that's unbelievable, man. I mean, you know, uh, that, I mean, you know, that's that's what I can that's, that's what I can say. Now, that album definitely needs to be the Grammy Hall of Fame because. To have Elliot Babyface and Teddy Wright produce the album, you definitely got a monster. And you know, when he came in, Bobby, as far as the solo artist, he'll transition to that. He was different, you know, the majority of young male solo artists and stuff. And uh, what he brought to the game at that time, man, you know, you know, would never be taken away. You know, for his album to be listed in the Rolling Stone magazine, that, you know, no said right there. Right. And to see him still standing, torn with his brothers and all that he's gone through personally, it's a testament yeah. to his will and just the love that everybody has for Bobby. So big shout out to Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, Johnny, and also Brooke, the silent one, the seventh member of any and how Brooke, yeah. if you look at the miniseries, Brooke 
how he took them when they were kids, gave them the inspiration, gave them the dance moves and was there from thick and thin and just invested in them. I just want to give Brooke his flowers. And I was just so proud and shocked that he agreed to enter to do the interview with me when I was in college because Brooke rarely, he rarely does interviews, but just to give him his flowers and how he, I feel is the backbone of New Edition. And also for those who don't know, Ronnie DeVoe's uncle. Yeah, yeah, Brooke Payne, he definitely the seventh member of New Edition because he done put a lot of work in. I mean, you know, to say, I mean, at a time to take five boys from Boston, you know, and to to build a way to yesterday, you know, of course, Johnny Gill later on and stuff, but uh, to, t- to, you know, to take the group to where he needed to be at, man, it says a whole lot, you know, and Brooke Payne definitely deserves his flowers, you know, and I'm glad that movie came out because it sits around what he was trying to do for the group and stuff, and I thought it was the great, you know, and then for New Edition be young as it was, 13, 14, 12, you know, years old to go to Brook Payne and want them to work with them. Ain't too many kids, you know, that age 12, 10, 13 years old, come to you and say, hey, we, we want to work with you because, you know, we see you working with, I think it was Stylistics or something like that. And, uh, man, that, that says something, man. So, New Edition definitely was ahead of time, man. But Brook Payne, he definitely deserves his flowers. He definitely deserves to be the Hall of Fame, I mentioned, but, you know, but that's, you know, politics and everything. Man. For sure. And then the one thing about the miniseries was that it just shows the professionalism of New Edition, how you never knew their inside drama. They always kept a professional on stage and they yeah. had their stuff off stage, but but it never got leaked out to the public. No, it never got leaked out. And what I can say about New Edition, you know, regardless of the drama, they never let the ego and pride get the best of them to where like nobody want to perform together regardless of anything, you know. These days, it's kind of hard for, you know, boy bands and girl groups come together because it's so much ego and grudges and stuff, and, and you know, that goes on. And one thing I could say about doing this, you know, is like I could picture somebody, you know, you know, join that group that's never been a part with that group, you know what I'm saying? I mean, far as like currently, you know, and stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, they always kept it together, man. And you know, and, and uh, I'm glad that the older, you know, everybody that evolved and grew up, their uh, legacy speaks for itself, you know. And I'm glad that movie was out to tell the story because a lot of times when you hear about stuff like this, people on social media would make up rumors and this and that. And I'm a type of person like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time too. I read it for the come out of the artist's mouth. Then I could go ahead and put my two two together. Well, I think that was the truth or was it a lie. But I wish that I wish that the new edition story could have been like a whole like a whole full season, you know. But BT that budget, you know how that goes. You only limited to what you can put out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So tell us a little bit about R&B Soul Effect TV and where can people watch it and how can people uh, get involved. Yeah, RB Sofake TV, you know, is uh it, you know, it's a platform, you know, that celebrates, you know, artists' uh music careers from the past and the present and, and also, you know, the future. Um uh, I created I created a platform back in September 3rd, 2016. Uh, I'm gonna tell you what's so funny about it. At that time I took a break, but I left rap alone as far as because I had a company that was opposite of it. When I left rap alone, I took a break for like a whole year and I kept thinking to myself, like, what was the direction I want to do? 
But I remember when uh, I kept having, you know, R&B, you know, artists go to me. I said, yo, I don't promote R&B, dude, so I can't help you. But I felt like, you know, I had, you know, there was something there that, that needed my attention. So when I, uh, I was in the hospital, so I kept thinking to myself, like, okay, when I come home, I need to come up with a name that will stand out. First, it was called R&B Soul TV. And then I said, nah, somebody might got that name. And then I changed it. I add the, the word effect on there. And, uh, and, uh, and the word effect is like you see different graphic 3D designs and stuff. So it based around what you see on the platform. But uh, yeah, man, uh, you know, me just working hard at it, man. Like the last six years, you know, here it is. I mean, to go for 1,000, you know, likes on Facebook. Now we had 30, 35 likes on Facebook. You know, I ain't put nobody behind it, man, as far as to try to build likes. All that was organically and stuff. Um, for me, I wanted to bring something different to the table because no offense to other platforms that does R&B, but, you know, it's actually platforms they talk about the artist's birthday, what song with number one on the R&B chart. They talk about the Hot 100. That's cool and all, but I'm more focused on the R&B because one thing I hear about the Hot 100 it's so narrated, make it feel like that the black arts were never was successful. Even though they, you know, here it is, Steve Wonder got 20 number one RB hits. Nobody don't talk about that. Freddie Jackson got 10 double one hits. Nobody don't talk about that stuff. But um, yeah, man, but far as RB So Fake TV, you can find it on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, Spotify, AHA Radio. Um, just for me, you know, I invested to my platform, you know, because, um, you know, for me, you know, I want to take, take this company to a, a whole different you know level uh you can check out the interviews on instagram i got a sprinkle of them on, of them on youtube but i am uh currently working on a situation i can't get the detail it is but far as filming uh you guys will see on different streaming platforms and stuff you know because i'm not going to deal with television because having what to deal with deal with big time project networks the bad part about it i would hate to you know, break something out there and then for sure get canceled. Like, why do all that? I can go on a shooting platform and just have it last forever, you know? So for me, my contribution, I wanted to bring something different for the Black community, uh, just for all races that loves R&B. And I'm glad that, you know, I got fans, man. I mean, from London, uh, Africa, you know, here in the U.S., uh, Tokyo. I mean, like, the list goes on, man. So to see where my platform has gone from there to now, man, it's a blessing, man, to have Legends like Jimmy Jeffrey Lewis, Jody Wally, Peebo Bryce, uh, Keith Lattimore, you know, appreciate what I do as a whole different level. To have Jenny Jackson, you know, to like my post not once or twice, I knew I made it <laughs> when my platform got recognized. So that was all I needed, man. It was, it was, it was bigger than the war. Yes, sir. Independent is key. I'll say it again, people. Independent and key. Just know that if you're on your independent grind, it's going to be a struggle. You're not going to see the rewards right then and there. It's going to be a long haul. Also, ownership, copyright. I'll say it again. Ownership, copyright, and also yeah. trademark. Trademark that stuff because you can have the idea today, but unless you get it trademarked and filed, somebody can snatch it and make money, and it won't be you. Yeah, man, absolutely, man. Yeah, because, you know, it's good to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, say like independent. And all the reason why, you know, I say that because at least you own the stuff to your music. You, you ain't got to deal with no middleman, no nothing, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people will try to mess up, you know, what you know, Bill, because I mean, true enough, you know, I mean, I done had uh, uh, 
you know, offers and stuff. But but I I shout it down because me, I'm a business man, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not gonna let my company, you know, be swindled around and people mess my stuff up, you know, just like uh uh what was it last week I had a meeting. I'm not gonna mention the artist's name or nothing like that, but uh he had me talking to these two dudes on the phone and stuff. And the guy asked me how long are my interviews. I said depends on the artist's schedule. You know, plus it depends on the length of their careers. You know, he's going to ask me, he said, I'm going to ask you again, how, how long is the interview? I said, dude, did you even listen to what I'm saying? You know, it is bad because, you know, our peoples, man, we are our worst enemies when we say stupid things. You know what I'm saying? And that's what, you know, hurt us. So I called old boy back. I said, dude, I appreciate you inviting me to this meeting, man. They want to blow me up like the next night. Since I appreciate that, but at the same time, it's like I rather do it my way. Because the thing is, those two bozos, you know, say like they 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 you know said they're not even paying attention to what I'm saying. So I knew that you know that situation was a fluke, and I knew it wasn't gonna work out. Because one thing I can't say, it's like you and I said before we went on air, just that you know, be the podcast host. You know, me be the DJ, those are hobbies, you know what I'm saying? But but as far as a businessman, that's our first priority. Because, you know, we take, you know, our job seriously. And I think the problem with our black people is that we are good at, you know, railroading each other, you know what I'm saying, for all the wrong reasons and things. So um, like I said, yeah, you know, I had different offers, man. People from Facebook try to reach out to me, you know, want to do business with me, but you know, I could tell, I could tell a shyster when I see it because I'm a type of person like it's easy to expose that person that's, you know, online. But I'm a type of person like I let you talk. Once they get up, let you talk, then that's when I go ahead and make the conclusion of, you know, this person is like BS. So yeah, man, you know, that's what I learned in life is that you gotta stay above the game. Don't let nobody get you out the game. Thanks. Drop that jewel, yeah. take it, and imprint it. Now, do you have any shouts you want to give, Mr. Soul Effect, before we conclude this interview? And also, let the people know about your social media and platforms once again. Okay. Okay. Before, okay. Uh, I just want to say, man, shouts to, you know, uh, besides the fans, shouts to the DJs, shouts to, you know, certain public figures that are showing me love. Uh, shouts to my family that have been supporting me, you know, uh, since I built, you know, RB Soul Fake TV like the last six years. Uh, you know, make sure you guys follow RB Soul Fake TV, you know, on all social media platforms. You can look on Google, you know, say so get on Facebook, click the link, you will see all kinds of stuff on there and things. But uh, other than that, man, thank you, man, for the vibe to your podcast, man. I definitely appreciate that, man. This, you know, I, you know us, you know, that's been around the game for a long time, we don't get those type of interviews like it because people don't know our story until, you know, we start talking about it. But thank you, man, for inviting me, man. I really appreciate it, brother. Oh, for sure. And you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts and on YouTube, Beyond the Album Cover, and also Facebook.com slash Beyond the Album Cover. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big round of applause and thank you for Mr. Soul Effect for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. This definitely will not be his last. Mr. Soul Effect, thank you once again for coming on, bro. Uh, thank you, bro. Man, I appreciate it. Man. We definitely got to do this again, man. Bet.